Merry Christmas. Before I forget, when you leave tonight, take a poinsettia with you, please. We'd like for you guys to be able to take those home with you. You know, as we go into the Christmas season, everybody has their various traditions of how they do various things. And I tell you that my wife and I really get a lot of joy out of the Christmas tree. And I'm sure that some of y'all the same way, my wife probably more so than me, but it's enjoyable in the mornings or the evenings, having a coffee or whatever. You'll sit there and just look at the tree and on our tree too, probably like yours, there's a lot of ornaments that mean something. And they have memories, they have history, and we just like to reminisce through that. Well, just like normal, Thanksgiving weekend, we went and got our tree, put it up. My wife had gotten some really great Christmas lights from a garage sale. There's some foreshadowing in there. And, you know, but they were in the box, bought them, great deal, plugged them in, worked perfectly fine, wrapped up the tree, got everything going. It was great. And then half the lights go out. Now, I'm not kidding you, first service when I said that, these tree lights went out over here. That's how it happens, people. It was just completely unplanned. And, you know, we're shaking the tree, and this would come on, this would come on, that would go off, that would come on. And it was just, it was a disaster, you know. Two weeks. We had the tree for two weeks like this, and we're just going to gut it out through Christmas. But then the tree died. Literally, technically, you could say it was already dead. You cut it down. I get it. You know, understand. But I'm talking brown. Yeah, brown. The bottom part of that tree was green, and everything from there up was brown. Long story short, Amazon can send you pre-lit fake trees in two days. So Christmas is saved. And our tree is already on the burn pile in the backyard before Christmas even ever made it, you know? The Christmas story is the gospel story. It is a story that God set up, prepared for from the foundations of the world uh, that would draw everyone over the whole world to come and see what God can do. And essentially to come and see the light and life of the world, light that never goes out, and life that never ends. Isaiah is one of the prophets that we just saw the scripture from, probably one of the most famous Old Testament statements about Jesus and his birth that's most often read. And I, I want to read a piece of that along with a part of it that doesn't often get read at Christmas time as well. But in Isaiah 9, we read, In the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This is God's word. And the origins of Christmas going back to the Mediterranean world go all the way back into pagan roots. And I know some people get really upset about that. It just simply reminds us that God can take anything and he can redeem it for his purpose. He does it with people in amazing ways all the time. But basically, December 25th follows the darkest night of the year. And in this pagan ritual, they would light up all these bonfires in the dead of night all around town to drive out the darkness. 
And so when you think about that, it's an amazing reality of what we read about in God's word. I, I like how Matthew quotes Isaiah and he adds a little something extra to it. He says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. It, it really brings out the nature of Psalm 23. But I like the idea that we live in a land of shadow of death. It's only a shadow. Why? Because a shadow is irreversible. It could be changed. It could be made into something different. And, and at the end of the day, darkness in our world only being a shadow is an encouraging reality. And it means for there to be a shadow, light has to be on something. Light has to be somewhere or else you can't have a shadow. Now, we have children in the room and then we have some kids too. Um, you know, some of us are just adult children. Going back to times in our past, or maybe even some kids who are here now, you have at some point thought or tried to escape from your shadow. It's a belief that, you know, we're, we're like, what is this thing? It's the beauty of a child in this intriguing moment, which are discovering things in their world around them. But we soon find it's something that we cannot escape. It's something that we cannot get away from. It's essentially impossible. But all of us, in some ways, are always trying to do the impossible. Our own way. For ourselves. But all of us come up against an impossible moment where we realize that someone or something greater than me is absolutely necessary. Um, whether it's a situation where other people have to come in and help us out, or it's an even greater situation to where we need essential help for essential things. I bet Mach Fry was a statement, German statement. It was placed above the entrances to camps that Jews were taken into. It means work makes free. The idea there is that there was a lie perpetrated. If you work, you do good, you'll get out. But that was never the intention. And what was a blatantly stated lie is I think a lie within our culture where we think sometimes work sets us free, right? I can do the impossible if I try hard enough, if I'm good enough, if I align the stars in my favor or so on and so forth. Just the other week, actually it's a couple of days ago, I was reading Second Chronicles, I believe it was 26. It's just a year-long reading program, which it's amazing how the consistency of that stuff puts you in a place you never thought you'd be and God's word catches you in a way that you never thought he'd catch you. It was just about, Uzziah, who was a king of Israel. Um, he became king when he was 15. And, and it struck me because he was one of the good ones. He reigned for 50 years. I mean, he did things well. He was, he was faithful to God. But as many of them were that way, sometimes they ended up getting a little bit high on themselves, a little bit prideful and thinking I can do things my way or how I want to. And so one day, listen to the horrible thing that Uzziah did. He walks into the temple and he starts giving prayer and offering incense to the Lord on his own behalf. I mean, just terrible, right? You know, the worst thing you could ever imagine. 
Well, he was struck with leprosy because of that and made to live his final days on his own in seclusion. And I'm sitting there reading this going, really, Lord, isn't there some worse things in the world that we need to take care of than, you know, this situation? But as I'm thinking that, it kind of struck me, which is what the word of God should do. Ross, how have you, in even the simplest ways, believed you can do whatever you want to do and get away with it? This is the lie that creeps into us that, man, I can be really good and then I can just do some things my own way and don't have to listen to God and everything that he says and that should be good enough. And yet God is greater than that. God deserves more than that. He deserves our everything because he gave us his everything in Christ. But we buy into this lie, work makes you free, and we settle into, as long as I'm mostly good, you know, I can go my own way here or there, but it's either one or the other. We either settle into our goodness uh, resolves our problems and the darkness in this world, or it's only godliness in Jesus who does that for us. You can't have one or the other. There's no hybrid version. And this is such an important truth in the gospel. And it's why that one verse in Isaiah 9, which is most often left out, but I think it needs to be left in for Christmas. And that is about the warrior's boot and the bloody cloth being destined for the flame. Because essentially what it's saying to us is you cannot supply your greatest need. You don't have the ability it says basically the warrior's garments, the warrior's tools, what he would use to gain for himself what it is that he needs is done. It's gone. It essentially leads us to this text that goes on to say that we receive the light and life that is essential to our greatest need. And we're told that and how it happens in the following verse, to us a child is born. And don't miss it because these you just kind of read past and think it. Think about it, not enough. To us, a son is given. Given. It's a gift. Essentially, gifts are things that are uh, given to us and require us at times to lower our pride in order to receive them. I mean, look, if a friend gives you a piece of exercise equipment (laughs) for Christmas, in a self-help book on, you know, being a self-centered person, you're going to be like, great, okay, I'm fat and obnoxious. Appreciate that. But if you receive it, you have to accept and admit something about yourself which requires you to lower your pride. Likewise, maybe you received a financial gift from someone that, you know, you couldn't otherwise pay the debt without the help. It requires us to really release our pride And everyone's the same. Everyone has to be willing to lower their pride because Jesus can only be received as a gift. You can't leverage him with your goodness. You can't buy him with your love. You ultimately uh, can't do anything other than come and see the only way to receive light and life is through the gift that's been given to us. And, And here's the point in all of this. 
This is what I think we have to get for us to understand when it says a light has dawned. First, we got to come to the simple reality that the most essential battle of your life is one that only Jesus can win. For some of us who are maybe a little bit older, a little bit bloodier, you've tried to fight it long enough on your own and you're in enough pain to realize that might be true. But yet we keep receiving the lie, keep believing in the lie, keep trying to press into, well, I'm mostly good. I should be able to do what I want here. After all, it's not that big of a deal, right? But we either trust in God or we don't. We either believe what he says or we don't. And as a result, some people can't lower their pride to accept that. For some, it takes years, it takes headaches, it takes heartaches, it takes more struggles, it takes impossible situations. They finally have a breakdown before they're able to have a breakthrough. And sadly, some never do. What's interesting is Isaiah chapter 8. It's so important. It sets up chapter 9, but chapter 9 is the only one that's ever read at Christmas time, if read at all. Chapter 8 really sets an important stage for what Isaiah is saying. He says this, when someone tells you to consult mediums, spiritists, who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God first? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Before Isaiah ever gets there, he talks about it right here. He basically says, some come and see, but they choose whatever the world has to offer to fix the darkness around them or the problems within them. I mean, the passage tells us people were looking to their experts, right? Their spiritual gurus their political powers or systems, their president or that leader, their scientific methods, their human resources, their mystics, their scholars to shed light on how we fix darkness in the world. After all, if all we do is love and apply some principles that are good within the world, we can fix the world's problems because it's going great so far. Essentially, They were looking for every way they could do what they want to do their way so they could say, I did it my way. And the more we say we can do it our way, even if it's something small, like Uzziah offering prayers in a way that God had directed not to do it, but he was a good guy, so it should be okay. But look at what it goes on to say when we do this, when we search in the world to find answers to the darkness around us. It says, distressed and hungry, the people will roam through the land. Then they'll look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. It said, this is the result that we get from looking into the world to try and fix the darkness of the world or trying to look inside of ourselves to fix that which we have no capacity to fix. I think it was said very well by a man who is very well positioned, 
by world powers all around him to see that there is no power in the world, there's no political system that can fix the problem that this world has. It was a former Czech Republic president. And he basically said, a turning to and seeking of God is needed. The human race constantly forgets that he is not God. But we try to play and fill the role all the time. It was Vaclav Havel who went on to basically say that the more we try to save ourselves, the more we create darkness in the world around us. And if the last four years is not a perfect illustration of that, I don't know what is. When people get together and try to play God in a lab, they create havoc and wreak havoc on the world and death around them. And we've lived through it and experienced it. You know, many people, including Christians today, uh, may believe and trust in the light, but do we fully? Do we completely? Do we give our full selves over to God as God has given his full self over to us through Christ? Or are we trying to go our own way? Are we trying to say, well, we're mostly good and trust in that goodness versus trusting in the gift given to us by God, which is radically different. It says a great light has dawned, and why? To get our attention so we come and see the only light and the only life that never goes out and never dies. See, Isaiah set this up from eight to nine to get us to mentally picture the sun because the sun brings life, it brings truth, and it brings beauty. It brings life in the sense that just as our sun, if it did not continue to shine, life on this planet would come to an end. If Jesus was not the light of the world, life in his eternal kingdom would not be made possible. You know, when we look at the world around us and what has been caused by the fall of man, physical death is a result of us being separated from God, spiritual death as well. This is why people lose meaning in life. This is why they lose hope. This is why they lose and experience addictions in their life, inordinate desires in their life, deep discontent in their life, shame, struggles, and more. And God wants to bring life into all those things through Jesus, who is the light and life of the world. He says, come and see him, trust him. He will change things like the rest of all those other things we try in this world cannot change them. He's also the truth. I have been in places, as many of you probably have been, where I hold my hand up to my face and still can't see it. It is that dark, whether it's in a cave or it's just out in the woods and there's not a single star in the sky and you don't even know your hand's there until you actually touch it to your face. It is amazing what even a tiny ounce of light in that situation can do. It reveals so much around us. Jesus has revealed to us who the Father is, his love, his grace, his capacity to forgive and make a way for us. And what he says to us, to understand it, to trust it, all of it, even the little things, as well as the big things. And the sun is the most beautiful thing we can imagine. Listen, in each and every season we go into and we come out of, the sun sets and the sun rises vary with all their colors. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. I have never heard somebody say, I am bored with the sunsets or with the sun rises. In fact, quite the opposite tends to be true. The older we get, the more we soak every last color and moment 
and experience in. You know, there are places in this world where light during certain seasons is not as abundant. And there's a correlation with people who live in those places that they tend to be per capita, on average, more depressed than the average person. Why? Light brings joy. Joy is beauty. And light brings beauty into our lives. Which makes me think of what St. Augustine famously stated, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And here's the most wild thought about that. The beauty that we see in a sunset or a sunrise is just a small reflection of who God is and what God desires to reveal to us in time. Stephen Hawking, a renowned scientist who's a very brilliant individual in his field, was set to debate against John Lennox, who is a professor of math at Oxford. And the Times was going to do an article and interviews about what they were going to be debating about. And so the person who was doing the interview asked Mr. Hawkins about his thoughts on religion. And he said, religion is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. So wanting to be fair, the Times reporter asked Mr. Lennox his comments or opinions on atheism. And Mr. Lennox wisely commented that atheism is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the light. Perfect thought, perfect response in that moment. Because the Bible makes it clear that we are to resist what is dark, but make no illusions that you can somehow in yourself overcome it, be victorious in it or through it or over it. That is only something that we can completely trust in God, in Christ, to do for us. There's a funny story that is a episode of the comic strip Peanuts where Charlie Brown cracks open his piggy bank. He finds $9.11 and his arch nemesis, Lucy, uh, always the antagonist, when he says to her, I'm going to go buy Christmas gifts for everybody for $9.11, said, Charlie Brown, you can't buy Christmas gifts for everybody for $9.11. And Charlie Brown says, well, I am going to try. So Lucy continues to say, uh, there's sure going to be cheap presents. To which Charlie responded with absolute conviction and strength. Nothing's cheap if it costs you everything you have. If you believe that God has given you everything he has in Christ, will you trust him even in the smallest things that he calls you to. If you believe that God has given you everything that he has in the gift of Jesus, will you accept that only his power and his purpose is what can lead you to light and life, joy and health? If you believe that God has given you everything that he can in Jesus, Will you believe in Jesus ahead of all other things in this world, including your own goodness? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word.
Thank you for the opportunity for us to enjoy and celebrate and praise your name on this special night. We're grateful in those moments and seasons when Christmas falls on the actual day in which we gather on in your name to praise you for all that you've done. But Father, every day is an opportunity to celebrate the Christmas story because it is a gospel story that you have set up for us to be able to declare, come and see what great things that God has, God we believe in has done. So Father, remind us of that, encourage us of that, strip away our desire to just simply get somewhere or accomplish something based on our own goodness. Lower our humility or bring up our humility as you lower our pride, Lord, so that we can trust more in you. So that, Lord, we can seek to allow you to be our everything, our source for life and all that we do. Father, we pray that you would help bring our hearts to a place of salvation, to where we're trusting in you completely and fully. Father, as you move in our hearts and as you do things that only you can do through your word and through your opportunity to bring us to understand that Jesus is the light and life in this world, that only one that we can trust in. Father, we we pray that you'd find us faithful, faithful in trusting you more, faithful in surrendering more, uh, faithful in going every day and living in such a way that the Christmas story is alive and true in this moment, in this day, to where we share with others around us. You've got to come and see what God has done for you. Father, it's our passion here at Canoe Creek to share you with our world in that way. We ask that you would help us to do it as we believe and we trust that Jesus is the only one who can win the greatest battle that we all face. And we pray pray this in Jesus' name, amen.